financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, and as you can see, I've lost a friend, but we are going to be dropped in upon by Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises and perhaps Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Hmm. But we've picked up a new F here at TGAF. Joining Jeff Glore of CBS News is Jack Glore. And from what I understand, this is Jack Glore's debut on any kind of media platform. Uh, maybe he's done some TikTok or some things with his local school. But in terms of a high-powered professional operation, this is Jack Glore's debut. Is that right? Yep. I don't think he's even done anything on TikTok or anything. This is it. You've never posted anything on YouTube even? Well, yeah, when I was like seven, but. Oh, well, that's the rookie card right there is the, is the YouTube. But we are going to take credit for the launch of Jack Lore's career. His father works at a network that employs Jim Nance, uh, Ian Eagle, Kevin Harlan, known for. Greg Gumbel and Brent Musburger and Pat Summerall, John Madden. But Jeff Glore has decided his son needs to get his start with Tim Graham. I those, all those guys you mentioned are incredible, but I do believe that Jack has the it, they're amazing. This man has the potential to surpass all of them. Of course, we all do. So do I. You do, and you might. At 52. Yeah. Um, Jack, uh, Jack, you want to get into sports casting? Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah. Or is that just what your mother is forcing you to do? <laughs> that, yeah. I'm interested, but that, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, you're how old, though? Um, 14. I just turned 14. 14. All right. Well, we got time. Uh, my son's about to go to college. Uh, he doesn't know where he wants to go, what he's going to study. So at 14, uh, to know what you want to do here is uh, is impressive. And I'm guessing that you have some things that you can do at school here in the year 2023 that your father couldn't at uh, Hoover Elementary or Kenmore East High School. Some things at your disposal, some resources. What do you know? Uh, doing some things? Are you able to get, get on? He's mostly we're having... And what are you doing? I mean, you're he's 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 pretty amazing to watch the games with. He'll pull out these stats or things that like I'm I look at him like I'm like, what how do you know that? Um so I think his I don't even know how you how you absorb all this. Well, let's put Jack on the spot here. Yeah, you know, he's being, no, I 
shy right now. Okay, well, here's the thing. You're going to have to get over that. Uh, no one-word answers. I'll do a better job of asking questions that don't uh, require a yes or no answer. But let's go. Let's let's get some thoughts on the game that you were in attendance, Jack Glore, Sunday afternoon, Lincoln Financial Field, Bills versus Eagles. What was your take on what transpired before your very eyes? Um, so first of all, when Josh Allen got ripped to the ground on the horse collar that should have been called, um, I think it was a little absurd that he got called for intentional grounding when Gabe Davis was still in the area. But I feel like maybe at least like offsetting penalties with intentional grounding and horse collar. But the, the fact that they just called out on the bills, even though Josh's jersey just got ripped off, is kind of ridiculous. And then we still should have won the game, I feel like. But like we had our chances and we like didn't convert on them, but the refs were also like a big part, in my opinion, of our loss. Yeah, the refs and and uh, I don't know if you take a look at the athletic at all. I wouldn't if I were your age, but uh, uh, it's what I do for a living. And your your father is so kind as to uh, donate uh, a few bucks a year to uh, keep me employed uh, by getting a subscription. Um, I would pay never... more, but they don't ask me. What's this? I would pay more, but they haven't asked me. Well, I'll do that. Uh, I'll send you a Venmo request or you can tip me in some way. I'll do a tip jar. Uh, I think you can do that on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. Uh, but I think that it is unbecoming to whine about officials. I'm not saying this against you, Jack, because I'm about to make a big twist here. I have never written in the past about uh, bad calls, officiating, because it's always been my belief that teams just have to overcome it. It's a part of the game. Uh, but for the first time in my career, after 30 years of doing this, I wrote a piece that was just about how bad the officiating was. And um, your father was kind enough to retweet it. We had a discussion about it earlier today. It is getting bad. It's getting bad to the point that I think it is uh, corroding consumer confidence in the NFL and all sports, really. But I think it used to be something that people were upset about you rolled your eyes but now with gambling um so closely associated with professional sports i i don't roll my eyes when people complain about the officiating anymore i think it's a legitimate concern uh, that's at the core of all sports i think you're right i think so i think i may have mentioned this to you before but we we have a buddy we, i won't mention his name you should mention his name jack who bets big and he he always says he he bets a lot of money on games and he's always said he's like it's rigged and i every time he says it i'm like come on give me a break man that's ridiculous and you know you've seen me yeah. say this and, and and jack will sort of like listen to him because he likes the guys he's a smart and good guy last game i i hate i really hate to say this just as i think you didn't want to write that article last weekend was the first time when i'm like what is going on here like what is going on? It got to the point where it was almost like, I cannot believe you made that call. I know they have a hard job. I get it. I do not envy the job of, of officials. And we bitch about it every single week. Last week, you wrote that article last week. Was, I think may have been, as far as I can recall, the first time I've really sort of just tweeted about it. And I didn't think I did it angrily or anything. And then I saw your article the next day. And I was like, man, 
it's I so I don't know what and I don't know what the solution is. Do you do you allow more of these calls to be reviewed? Yeah, that is something that is done in the Canadian Football League, and it's probably a story that I should do. Uh, but they allow coaches challenges on penalties. Uh, same challenge system, roughly. It's just that it's not about the outcome of a play or a ruling in terms of a spot or whether or not it was a catch. They can actually challenge interference or uh, you know a hold or, or whatever they want. Um, but yes, it, I think it is, uh, and I use the word corrosive. It's a. I did a story back when the uh, fantasy, the daily fantasy ads were so obnoxiously ubiquitous on television we're talking what would it have been seven eight years ago jeff you may remember it it was fan every yeah. every two out of every three ads were either FanDuel or DraftKings. they were just sinking so much money into advert they were it was a new frontier and so i did a story and i interviewed uh, former major league baseball commissioner faye vincent and i think he used the word corrosive which is where i'm pulling it from that he thought gambling because it's going to get to the trust of the game um and we're seeing it here and there with players who are getting caught betting. Uh, you think of the people who it would be almost impossible to catch. Uh, let's say I have built up a good relationship where I exchange texts with um, a Bills offensive line coach or um, somebody, uh, you know, as guys go on to other teams. Let's say it's somebody who's now on Brian Dable's staff who used to work with the Bills. Uh, I could get little nuggets of, hey, what are your 10 scripted plays going to be to start the game? Maybe I want to go with this running back getting the over or that type of stuff. Maybe where it's not shaving points so much, but it's insider information trading. You know, that's the type of stuff that I think can be dangerous. But then the officiating element of it is the real um, damaging stigma that you can get. So. Uh, so, so Jack, you mentioned uh, the penalty, the non-call on the horse collar, the intentional grounding. Um, what were your, what did you think the turning points of the game were? You mentioned also, you know, they still had a chance to win. What, um, what, what, when you think back on on Sunday, what, what are the pivotal moments for you? Um, I mean, the the, um, the refs are still like a big part, but I feel like. Like you saw, like the penalties were like one to five. Like Philly had like one false start, and then um, we had like thirteen penalties for like one hundred fifty yards in total. But we also like also it wasn't yeah it wasn't just the refs, but like some of the calls were like kind of baloney. But I feel like some some of the calls were like our fault and like completely unnecessary. And like yeah, it wasn't just the refs, but we started yeah we started a chance to win the game. I think Jack gets frustrated by the. The, by also, and I do too, by the timeout usage and calls. Yes, yeah, like Sean McDermott's like calling timeouts, like his first two timeouts in the first quarter and like third quarter, and it can be really valuable late in the game. All right, so I said fan confidence has never been lower in Sean McDermott in my most recent column. Uh, where is Jack Glore's confidence in Sean McDermott as the head coach of the Buffalo Bills moving forward? Um. I mean, uh, he needs to clean a lot of stuff up, like, if, for example, like timeouts. But, like, I, I don't have that much confidence in him. Hmm. I think I still I, – I still do. I I get I get the point that you make, Toto, Tim, as far as being up sort of tightly wound, and that may not be what the Bills 
given everything the Bills have dealt with, not just in the past couple of years, but historically. And so Jack hasn't Jack hasn't seen all this, thankfully, but he's getting a pretty good indication of what it means to be a Bills fan over the past few years. Um, and I so I think that's a good point. I listen. I the one thing I will say, and I don't mean I the he's he and 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 Bean and they brought a winning culture to Buffalo. And yes, it helps that they have a quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they have. And you you wrote about this too the 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 Pagula track record in hiring head coaches whether coaches whether it's in hockey or football was not always great. Um. But with McDermott, generally speaking, it has been, right? And that could be extended to general managers also. Um, I didn't want to bog down the story by getting into general managers, but that's been equally as almost as bad. Yeah. Um, So what's it like watching a game with your dad, Jack? Is it uh, do you get to hear about the old days when he was a fan and how lucky you are? I think I just got a glimpse of it there. So I want to maybe drill on that a little bit. Uh, is he, is he, uh, how much does he remind you of how, how easy you've had it, uh, as a Bills fan with them making the playoffs five of the last six years? Yeah. I would say like, um, I'm done being a Bills fan and everything. And it's like tiring kind of, I've been through it for like 14 years, but he's been through it for like almost like 50. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and like 30 of those were like 30 plus years of them were us not making the playoffs. And now almost like every year we're making the playoffs. Just not getting to the Super Bowl. So <laughs> there was a period there where Boston sports fans of a certain age uh had probably had the luckiest run because all four of their teams had won championships and yeah. multiple in some cases. Jack, are there some names he likes to drop on you? Names that you don't know there or that send you to your computer? Does he give you um does he say words like um words that maybe sound like a different language, like maybe Naaman Roosevelt or um, uh, Chidi Ahanatu or uh, or what are uh, what are some does he give you some names that you have that send you that send you to the to the research? Uh... The last game we were at, he the, the he's this is being recorded by the way. I should mention, see this uh, um, is that mom? Week. This is mom. Well, well this is. Nicole, this is Molly Glor. Sit up straight. She told me to sit up straight. Yeah. And he talks about Jim Kelly a lot. Yeah. But also, I should say, I'm an Eagles fan, and we had she's an Eagles fan. We had bad ref calling in our Super Bowl. Yeah. So to lose a game against the Eagles for bad ref calling is a thing, but to lose the Super Bowl with bad calls is. But I was crying. But I'll let them finish. Well, I just want to say while you're there, Mrs. Glore, that uh, I'm happy that somebody in that office would agree with me. I I was taken to the uh, social media woodshed uh, on Sunday by daring to call the game a thriller, because as you can guess, most of my followers on social media are Bills fans. They were not happy that I called it a thriller. Well, anytime it's overtime. You it's had a fun time watching the game Sunday. She watched in a separate room. Yeah, she, we can't watch she didn't watch. She she didn't watch with us. <laughs> Whose choice was that? Hers. My daughter and I. Our daughter and I. <laughs> my daughter. <laughs> well, she's my daughter because she will <laughs> actually cheer for the Eagles. He will never. He so, is all a right. diehard Bill. Civil war. It, it has yeah, been a civil really war because she thinks I should have raised him as a Bills and Eagles fan. I always make the case you can't really cheer with your true 
everything for for more than one team. I don't. I cheer for the Bills. They're my second favorite team. I cheer for the Eagles. I only gave birth to him and carried him for nine months, but God forbid he ever cheer for my team. (laughs) He actually cried when the Eagles won the Super Bowl because he's like, "When are the Bills going to win?" Did he actually cry? He had tears. But he did. Jack did. I didn't. She tapped you on the shoulder when she said it. He cried. Oh, okay. All right. There's no crying in football, but he was like, "Let him cry." Well, it's good to meet you. Thanks for joining the podcast. Here, um, this is a good this is a good time. Let's bring in Jonah Bronstein, whose yes. internet is now working. Uh Jonah Bronstein, he of course of uh Bronstein Enterprises. Uh Jack, this is my usual co-host of the show. And you of course know that because uh you you watch Tim Graham and Friends every week. Um right, Jack? Yep. Oh, here's Jonah. He's sideways. Sideways. Oh, am I sideways? Hang on, hey, I'll fix that. That's an easy way to do it. There you are. Yeah, Jonah Bronstein hey, Jeff, joining us here. Uh, looks like some sort of Tetris design we have going where Jonah is holding up the rest of us um, with his column there. So this is Jack Glore, uh, Jonah. He's been uh, giving us his thoughts on the game Sunday and also refereeing uh, writ large in the NFL. Let me ask you, did you watch the game last night, Jack, so you can join in this uh, next question? I um I saw like the first quarter, but then I had to I did my homework and went to bed. But I saw that like I thought it was gonna be a low scoring game, like starting off with like like seven to three and then like that nice touchdown. I didn't see Seattle scoring like any points at all. Like I I did not believe in their offense whatsoever. I felt like it would be like a thirty one to like ten to or thirteen game, but it was like I, it was beyond me that they were scored like seventy six points. Well. That is actually a pretty common um, bit of feedback that we get from our guests on Tim Graham and friends is that they have to do their homework and go to bed uh, before the late game. So we do sometimes have to ask them to record it so they can watch it in the morning. Um, Jack, there's a reason that Tim Graham and friends uh, usually records around 3 PM on Friday afternoons. Um, We'll get into that maybe some other time or have your father explain it to you. Um, But But I think the point, Tim is that weren't there in the game last night weren't there like 275 yards yeah well that's what that was the question I was going to ask we're getting into uh, consumer confidence yeah 275 yards in penalties and uh so Pete Carroll said in his post-game news conference that this has to be eliminated from football and he doesn't mean sloppy play he was talking about over officiating or too many flags it's making it's uh the game's not as fun as it used to be or at least in his eyes and he's obviously seen a lot of football um yeah. al michaels was was uh chiding the officials uh you know it's it's got it's gotten it's it's gonna it's gonna drag things down i think they're gonna have to make some they're gonna have to make some holistic changes about what they need to do uh, or what how they call the game uh jack what are you doing with your bye week are you um, in recovery <laughs> yep I'm in rehab and hopefully that um, I'm happy that I can get one week with that um, misery basically and um, trying to just enjoy other football games and cheering against the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Yeah. This is, I think, what um, what Lauren Bobert and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, are are referring to when they when they ref- when they talk about grooming. 
is you making your son a Bills fan. Oh my gosh. And I think you should be in jail. I don't think why he, are you doing this? I don't think he gets those references. But um so this is so you know you are one of our family chains. We have multiple family chains that sort of just commiserate over all this. But one of the, you know, one of the family members, one of our uncles was sending out, you know, all these issue things that have happened. Is it we're cursed, you know, all these different bad ways to lose. And my other uncle said, like to this, to this one uncle, he said, Listen, we cheer for the bills not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Um, and it's I don't know. I mean, we make it exciting, don't we? Yep. We just don't finish. That's called rationalization. Isn't it, well, I don't know what else to do. I'm not going to pick a different team. Well, we've had a run, actually, of guests uh, on Tim Graham and Friends. And, of course, I well, I would hope that Jack would be eliminated from this part of the conversation. But uh, Ryan Nobles was on a few weeks ago. Ryan Nobles of NBC News. Uh, Nick Bakai was on last week. And they have come to this feeling that the losses have be, have come to hurt way more than the wins and their belief is that they've been teased into thinking that hope is right around the corner or that the Super Bowl might be within reach and now it's starting to slide away a little bit and uh, the losses and and they weren't saying it in a um in a tongue-in-cheek way they were saying it in I'm worried about how much I put into this team and how much for my own mental health, how much I commit to, uh, to being a Buffalo bills fan. Have you gotten to that point yet, Jeff? Yeah. For about 47 years. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I sort of, it's, it's just part of me now. So I get it. I think I, I think I've been able to, um, at some point I'll write a book and try to process this, I guess, um, just that particular part of it. But um, I, you know, I don't know what else to say. That's it's me. Like it's part of me and it's part of him now. Um, so it's part of the fun. It's part of the fun. And I, and, and yes, I still have hope. Um, I don't, you know, it's, and so, yes. I, and so I hang on every article that you write, you know, it helps that they're good and you do a good job at it. I do think, I did. Th- I was surprised that all of your sources say there is zero chance. Well, it was two. Two sources off. said zero. The other two said they would be shocked that they don't expect anything, and they would be shocked. Don't they always say that until it happens? Well, these are sources that I, I know. I mean, I can't give too much away, um, but. Don't. If I give too many clues, then you might be able to figure out who I'm talking to. And I, I'm always hesitant to do that for their sake, not necessarily for my sake. Uh, I, want I already to, know who it is. I they need their cover. Jonah, Jonah is good at guessing who my sources are. Uh, usually about four four beers in at Elmo's and he starts uh, starts picking at me. Um, so, Jack, I, I will say this, though, and maybe this is where we can get into the existentialism of being a Bills fan. As somebody who grew up a Browns fan, I really didn't have much choice. I was in Cleveland. I was surrounded by it. And an Indians fan. Cleveland, very similar to Buffalo and the loser cycle, you know, monotony of losing, heartbreak, etc. 
I think you can kind of wear it as a badge a little bit. And I think your dad probably does it too, is that you've put in the time. It hasn't been easy. Um, so maybe Jack Glor needs a season like this to become an official Bills fan. Yeah. <laughs> or even last year, maybe last year counts with everything that happened. Yeah, with yeah, Hamlin and now this year, like yeah, six and six, hopefully I mean, when we lost to the Broncos, I was already saying, like, we still have a chance. I think we will beat the Chiefs next week. Um, because just like both teams have been struggling, but we usually get KC in the regular season. Um, yeah, maybe I just need that to be a permanent Bills fan. <laughs> Do you think we're going to make the playoffs? Yes. We, we, we will make it over to the – I think – we. I, I don't think we'll make the division, but I do think we can make it past, like, the Steelers, uh, like, them, like, finding Matt Canada. And yeah. I just don't think – their offense is averaging, like, seven points a game. Yeah. yeah. It's strange that you go back two or three weeks and the AFC North looked like the strongest division, perhaps in both conferences. And then Steel, Steelers with – their coordinator's gone, Joe Burrow out for the year. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and Deshaun Watson gone for Cleveland. Deshaun Watson out for Cleveland. How about that surprising AFC South, though? Yeah, they. I, I mean, I'm sharing on the Texans because I don't like the Jaguars since we lost them. But um, I like C.J. Stroud. I, I liked them, like, before the NFL draft last season, I was saying how Stroud is much better than I thought Bryson was going to be a bust. And now... Here we go, Bryce. He was saying that. Yeah, and now Bryce Young's one in ten, and CJ Stroud can take the division and go to the playoffs as like a really good season. He's probably most definitely going to win Rookie of the Year. It's going to be a interesting uh, last five games. It seems strange to think there are only five left too. Um, so it is. It is crazy. I still think we. I think they make. I still think they're gonna. I I don't. I wouldn't bank on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go three and two and still make the playoffs. Yeah, that would be hard. A, a nine and eight team did make the playoffs last year with tiebreaker. Uh, I think it was the Dolphins. In fact, I think they made it with a tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. Maybe. Oh, it was um, only with a tiebreaker. Okay, all right. And so tiebreak, but that's last year. I mean, things could things could fall apart. I, I think that to Jack's point about rooting for the Texans, while they are a fun team and they deserve, uh, they're a team I root for just because th they're cool. I, I like the idea of doing it the right way. Uh, mm -hmm. They got rid of Deshaun Watson, going against yeah. how my, I would like to have seen the Browns not do anything with Deshaun Watson. I now root for the Browns to go zero and seventeen as long as uh, you know they operate the way that they do. And now uh, uh, Warren Buffett's uh, firm is accusing Jimmy Haslam's family of trying to bribe his company for, for over his business. You know, so now the Browns are in a, the Browns are a greasy organization. Let's just put it that way. Um, I like what the Texans are doing, but I think as long as the Texans are playing well, that's another team the Bills are going to have to worry about beating out for the playoffs. I think that I think the Bills need the Texans to maybe fall apart. They definitely need the Colts to stop losing. Uh, I don't know where that's coming from, but hey, Jeff, uh, let me ask you. But I, I like Jack's opinion with the different, you know, age and experience as a Bills fan. Do you want the Bills to make the playoffs because of the opportunity to win the playoffs and win the Super Bowl in the postseason? You know, to be in the championship chase, or 
or is it at all part of not going back to being a non-playoff team, not slipping back to what was also familiar for you as a Bills fan? Uh, that's a good question, Jonah. I only want them to make the playoffs because I think they, because I want them to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, there's no other reason. I, I don't, you know, if they don't, I, it's not about slipping back. I, this, this team is. If you look at some of the other teams that are like six and five or six and six, it it, it sort of is absurd that the Bills are six and six yeah. given the talent level they have. Yeah. Plus one eleven in scoring. I I mean it's it, that's it is it is a it is ridiculous on many levels, but it is what it is. So, but to your point, no, I don't I don't believe that we're like out of this. I realize some more tough choices come up next year when what Josh's number increases and the salary cap and. Um, but the whole, I loved what Nance said like a few weeks back. I forget, was it the Dolphins game or whatever? And he kept talking about the Bills windows closing, the Bills windows closing. As long as Josh Allen is playing well, uh, the, the, the window's open, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and you may be surprised to hear that, but I don't, I don't think there may be some dips and whatever, but I, I don't, I'm not even if this year doesn't happen. And again, this is, this may be me rationalizing it. It probably is, but um, I, um, I, I feel pretty good about the next decade. Yeah. Do you see some silver lining if the bills were to miss the playoffs, especially if you're in any sort of a mindset that, that you want to see a coaching change, would the bills bottoming bottoming out or more kind of falling back? Is that anything a bills fan would want to see? Um. I don't know. Uh, we were, t- I think we were talking about that before you hopped on, but um, a little bit in that I, I like the culture that McDermott has brought. I still, I, I, um, you know, I realize that he's on the hot seat right now. I get it. I understand it. Um, uh, some things frustrate myself and Jack too, like the use of timeouts, the sort of game management. Yeah. It does seem like we lose a lot of these close games that. Other teams don't, which is – I don't know who else you put that on but the coach. I don't know, Jack. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, McDermott keeps using his timeouts. But like, he's using two timeouts in the third quarter. Like, if we need a game winning drive from Josh, you like, oh, McDermott needs to give him his timeouts, and then Josh can do the rest. And he's just not very good coach. Don't you find it fun, the unexpected nature of Sean McDermott's timeouts? You, you never really know when they're going to be taken and how. <laughs> Well, like the last game, what was it? I mean, you know, we lost, if if I remember correctly, a team beat us with 13 seconds left and two timeouts. In a, not beat us, but tied us in a game a couple of years ago. When was that? Stop. Um, we had, now tell me if I'm wrong, but the, so like there was in the Eagles game, there was a timeout taken to like set the defense and wasn't there like another timeout taken to like freeze the kicker when he was already rushing onto the field? Yes. And would have been yeah. rushed to begin with. So you would have had 22 seconds and three timeouts. Three times. And then you have one timeout and you're basically throwing the game out the window. I don't like, understand that. I don't understand that. Makes I would like to see teams work on some sort of theatrical, we're about to call a timeout. But then they don't. I think that would be a way to really get inside a kicker's head, whether it be having your linebacker like getting close to the ref and going like this, you know, or 
for those of you listening on the podcast, I'm doing the the coach on the verge of calling the timeout right before it hits four <laughs> yeah. seconds. And then he it, when it gets to four, he goes bang and, and then they call it um, or start talking about it without saying it. Like you'd probably need to tell the officials before the game, hey, we have this here. If we don't actually call for the timeout, we don't want it. Uh, and so the kicker might be ready or thinking, all right, well, they're going to call the timeout. And then here here it comes and there's three seconds left on the clock and I got to, I, I would like uh, to see a team try that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Another genius idea from the mind of Tim Graham. Oh yes. Uh, Jack, what do you have to deal with from your classmates uh, being a bills fan? <laughs> so, You're in New York, right? Yep. Giants fans, like Patriots fans, um, all kinds of fans, except Buffalo. <laughs> and I mean, I had to deal with a lot after the loss, but like, and they always like say like the key part of the game of like how we lost, like, and, like the Giants game that we won, for example, like barely in it, like nail biter. They were saying like they they're like like when class just started, they're saying how that's clearly pass interference on the um on Darren Waller with Taron Johnson, and they're like showing me videos the entire class period about it. He gets it bad. Yeah. Fairburn's coming on, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He just texted. Matthew Fairburn uh, got the uh, Jeff Glor bat signal, and uh, he was podcasting with Chris Baker, uh, so he may be dropping in on us too. Um, he asked Jack, if we were. I, he asked if we were still blabbing. I said yes. Yeah, and we will. We'll continue. Jack, what's in your jersey collection? What are we wearing these days and what are you not wearing? What jerseys do you own that you have maybe put into uh, reserves uh, because uh, you don't want to be seen uh, in them? Um, well, usually, usually whenever the Bills lose, I either um, it's depending on the Bills, what I wear to school on Monday, to either Bills apparel or to the opposite of Bills apparel, no Bills apparel whatsoever. I'm not a Bills fan. <laughs> Got to go incognito. Yeah. Um, so do we have, uh, what do we wear? I mean, do we have a Von Miller jersey in the rotation? Oh, gosh. No. No? Do we have Gabe Davis? No, we have Diggs, Allen, um, Trey White. He he didn't, um, yeah, that was. Milano. Milano. Um, Who else do you have? You had Edmonds. I had Edmonds, but had to get rid of that. But um, get rid of it. How do you get rid of it? Do you trade it with a Bears fan for? Uh... No, his sister wears it. Yeah, I just give it to my sister. <laughs> oh, because she's just into jerseys. She just wants. She doesn't, a jersey. Know, the she doesn't know the difference. She, she, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter was like that. Jersey didn't matter who was on it. In fact, my uh, my niece, uh, <laughs> my niece wanted jerseys for Christmas one year. My brother said. And uh, this was years ago. And so I went to the clearance rack and she was decked out and she had uh, one of the nicest Marshawn Lynch Bills jerseys you could ever have. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. There were a couple others that I got pretty much just for fun. Uh, yeah, Nobody is ever going to buy this in Buffalo. Uh, I can't remember who it would have been. Maybe like a, maybe uh, like a Don, there might have been a Dante Whitner in there. Gosh, who's the Clemson running back we drafted a bunch of years ago? CJ Spiller. Yes, that would be one. That would be in that category, I think. So, Jack, uh, you're uh, you're on here with two people who teach uh, college level sports journalism. 
do you have any questions about uh, what what you should do for your uh, for your school? Because I don't know that your dad can uh, handle these types of questions. Um. Oh. Um. I don't know. Probably like what kind of stuff you do in like just like sports broadcasting in general. Like how they get ready. Like yeah, how, how you like how you like prepare for like uh like broadcast and like what work you have to put into like for each broadcast during the week. Well, that is the kind of the monotonous stuff. That's the stuff that people would say isn't fun, but I find that to be the most fun. That's the research part of it. And if you're naturally curious, which I luckily am, uh, then you find yourself going down research rabbit holes during the week. And I think that for games, although with sportscasters these days, it's not like the old days of Brent Musburger or uh, Pat Summerall and John Madden, where you get one game a week. I think that broadcasters nowadays with the uh, Ian Eagles, Kevin Harlan's you're prepping maybe for a couple games. Uh, You have a college game. Maybe you're doing a Thursday or a Tuesday night college football game, especially when you're young and coming up and improving yourself. So you really have to uh, be disciplined and committed to learning sometimes a new roster every week and then maybe a couple of months into the season and you've got had a team for a second or a third time it feels a little more natural but when it comes to me and my job I'm covering the bills every week I know 50 percent of the players on the field very well broadcasters have to sometimes know two brand new rosters every time they sit down at the microphone and that is something that I think a lot of people don't see or realize that the dedication and research that go into that watching games watching game films of games that you already know what happens so it takes the joy out of it so you're watching it for work you're not watching it to see hey what's going to happen in this third and four situation you're watching it because you need to learn everything you can about these players you're about to you're about to call um and then of course i think your dad probably knows a person or two at syracuse i think that uh, that's probably a good place uh, to get started. Do you have, have you been to, you've been to Syracuse, right? You've been on campus with your dad. What do you think of Syracuse as a location? Um, it's cold because we went in the winter, but yeah, it looks really cool. Really cool. He likes snow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one thing I'd tell you, Jack, I would advise you to learn everything you can from your dad and not just because he's your dad and the access you have to him. But uh, a version of this that I tell all my students, you know, the sports part, I wouldn't worry so much about that. That's the easy part, especially if you're a sports fan and being a sports fan and being interested in sports, you'll naturally learn and absorb as much information and knowledge and insight as you can there. I would do everything you can to practice broadcasting and journalism and broadcast journalism skills. And a lot of that will transfer into being a sportscaster uh, eventually when those opportunities arise. Here's another thing. This is more for kids, uh, to my kids or anybody that I talk to. Start thinking even now. Well, it's good. It's good in life. It's not even if you're going to be a broadcaster. Start thinking about the words that actually come out of your mouth. Because it's very easy when you talk to go on autopilot. Your brain can kind of shut off and words just start tumbling out of your mouth. But to worry about being sharp and uh, economy of words, getting rid of words like like uh, or 
Uh, you know, I mean, that's a big one with me. I say, you know, a lot. I stammer because I'm not a professional broadcaster. I get on this podcast and I'm winging it a little bit, but you never hear a broadcast professional broadcaster talk like that. Maybe your dad around the house uh, when he's trying to figure out what he's, you know, when he's rummaging through the refrigerator or something. But if he's on camera on Saturday morning or when he's doing any of his pieces, the uh, you don't realize it. You don't realize how great they are at speaking and delivery and communicating. But that's the stuff that you you hopefully get out of your system in college. But if you start thinking about it, you'll realize how how often you hear or you you say those words that are just fillers. They're wasteful, and the the more efficient you are in speaking, uh, the more uh, brilliant, the more dazzling, the more charismatic you are. And um, that's how I win so many friends over is with my uh, brilliant um, dialogue. Right, yep. Jeff? Yeah, it's true. That's how you won me over. I was I was in full swoon mode the first time I encountered your just your use of the language. Um, I was blown away, you know, and um, um yeah, your dad, your dad and I like to bust each I, other's chops, Jack. So uh, when I was saying earlier that your dad can't answer these questions, Jonah kind of uh, went the other way. Your dad is uh, a luminary. He's great in his field. He the, is going to be able to teach you things just by being around him that you should just pick up. And then if he doesn't, are you waiting to see if your wife's still broadcasting? He told me to sit up straight. Oh, true. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? Who am I to tell you? Yeah. Uh, but here comes Matthew Fairburn, by the way. Oh, good. Um, and now I've lost track because I got disrupted by Matthew. But I was going to say, uh, oh, your your father. If he doesn't pull strings for you, and turn <laughs> you into one of the all-time great broadcasting nepo babies, <laughs> I am going to drive to New York and. Give him a piece of my mind. Here you are. You're you're going to do the work. If you want to do this, you're already at 13, 14 years old, and you want to do this. Uh, you're making your uh, sports casting debut on probably the greatest platform um, ever created, and it's Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Uh, this is your launching pad. Uh, we will be playing this clip on uh, Colbert. Uh, in uh, 10 years uh, and uh, they're going to have me pixelated uh, and they're going to have you and your dad next to each other and uh, everybody will see how it all got started. Jonah makes a great point about not paying it. Don't worry about the sports part of it. You're so interested. It's, it's such a part of you to begin with. And it comes so naturally to him that like you need to pay attention to the technique and the performance and Tim, you made this point too, but if anybody out there is watching like that's, I think that's a big thing too. Um, it's certainly huge. It's, it's Syracuse in the new house when all these kids go in knowing everything about sports, just like Jack does at his age, but it's, you know, for you, you need to be able to write well, which you do sometimes. I mean, one out of eight or nine columns is solid. Um, I'm heavily edited. Yeah. Eight or yeah. nine. That's the whole year. Um, you know, um, it, but that's the, it's a great point. I don't know what else to say, but like, it's, it, it, you sort of need the, 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 the magic is in sort of the stuff, the, the work that you're not doing 
the stuff that you don't want to pay attention to is the stuff you should be paying attention to to get better. Joe and I wrote two things this week. I'll have you know. More than me. Yeah, more than me, actually. Matthew Fairburn, uh, go ahead and tell uh, Jack Glore uh, how he will get into his dream school of Missouri. Oh, he wants to go to Mizzou. Well, I'm just in, I'm just creating a rift. I'm just trying to create some drama here because, you know, Missouri, Northwestern, and Syracuse, right? Maybe Arizona State has kind of come in, into that conversation. Are those the are those still the biggies? SUNY well, Brockport. You know, Brockport is a big one. Yeah, it is. Right. went. I think for Jeff's sake, Mizzou has to be the pick. It's much cheaper than Northwestern in Syracuse, and much better. I would say. I mean, just look around the uh, look around the sports the sports folks that went to Mizzou in broadcasting in particular. For, forget the writers, a lot of a lot of hack writers, but uh, great broadcasting. Jonah Javad uh, was a was a product. John Anderson was a product. Jerry Sullivan, John Hamm went to Mizzou for a time. So, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I feel I'll, like. I'll What's that? Jones? I just wanted to say, I'll, I'll tell you this, and this, you know, applies to Syracuse, Northwestern, and Missouri, but not all schools. I wish maybe I had known this and thought about this when I was your age. Um, I do think there's a big benefit in going to a Division One college. Um, it gives you opportunities to cover major college sports while you're in college that isn't. Now, when I went to Brockport, I was covering the Brockport teams, and I did get a lot of practice and experience and skill development, but it's a different kind of coverage and if you're able to cover uh you know a national top 10 football program or a powerhouse basketball program like syracuse specifically at syracuse you're covering syracuse basketball shoulder to shoulder with a lot of uh you know professional media that kind of experience is valuable and not uh there's great schools where you can learn a lot and academically wonderful schools but don't give you that same hands-on experience that you might get at mizzou or syracuse or a Division one school like that. It's a I great will say point. This it's what it's, um, just to balance counterbalance that because I went to a division three school, Baldwin Wallace, and I did for a brief period of time for one semester, I transferred to Kent state because Kent state has a, a pretty solid journalism program, especially in Northeast Ohio. Anybody who's on the air in Cleveland, I don't want to say anybody, but a lot of they've, they've churned out a lot of people who are now across the country. Um, Josh Reed. Yeah, that's right. Arsenio Hall. Um, we could go on. Um, but uh, the thing that was great about Baldwin Wallace was I didn't have to wait. I was able to write for the student paper and do the work at the radio station. We didn't have a television station. Uh, whereas at Kent or some of these other schools, there's so many people who want to do it that you don't always get an opportunity and you might end up just doing the copy desk. You might not be covering the football team. You might not because they're and anyways, it was just that was why it was good for me. Although I do think I would have been better off going to a journalism school from the start. But there are some benefits to go into the small school, too. I think Jonah's point about thinking about what you want to. Jack Laura is yawning now, by the way. I, I think well, that we've reached the notes yeah, too bad. interested in Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK portion of the podcast. It's, it's it's too late. From eight hours of school, too. <laughs> you was, have to. He was slacking. Consider, on, you know it. Like what Jonah mentioned of what you. It's almost like where you are is more important than um, the the school 
that you're at, you're going to learn more by doing. And so like for me, I thought about some schools in Boston, but ended up at Mizzou because being at a place where there was big time football to cover was something I was interested in. And it worked out. I don't know if that was the most responsible decision to make as a 17 year old kid to just look for the biggest football program, but that ended up paying off big time. And nowadays, I don't know that you even need to wait around to, even if you're at one of these super competitive schools, you know, maybe the Daily Orange doesn't have an opening, but you can find a, a blog or somebody that'll, that'll get you a pass, that'll get you to, to start, you know, I mean, with social media, you can make your, your broadcasting debut basically whenever you want. Right. And, and start to, it's a matter of being around the right types of events and really wherever you are just owning it. Like you could be at a place where there's division one college hockey, which isn't a major national sport, but if you own it, it stands out on your resume. And that's yeah. where Jeff, to your point, like thinking about not necessarily, not necessarily thinking about the sports part when it comes to school, right? Because the sports part will come naturally and just by immersing yourself in it, you'll figure out how to cover sports and then using the school part to make yourself a more well-rounded human, right? Like learn other things so that, because when you cover sports, as we found out this week, you're covering more than just what happens on the field. You know, you're covering a lot of stuff that gets messy and complicated in terms of legal stuff and uh, big business stuff. So the more well-rounded you are, as a thinker and as a learner in the classroom, the better off you are when, when that time comes, when something non sports related happens on the sports beat. It's really helpful for him to hear guys. So thank you. Well, we'll, we'll screw him up. Good. You can imagine like you got uncle Tim, uncle Matt, uncle Jonah coming over, sitting around the house and, uh, you know, Jack's sitting there in the recliner and all right, let's get after it here. Now, what are we going to do here? How are we going to get about this? What are we going to do? Uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, be happy to be your sounding board here, Jack, and to get you all twisted up by the time you're about 18 or 19, we'll be happy to do that. And your dad has no access to anybody else who can provide better advice <laughs> than us three. Um, the, it's, it's, it's really good. I just, no, I mean, I don't mean to be schlocky about it here but thank you uh that's it's it's nice for him to hear um and um nice for him to hear this from friends <laughs> jack are you a sabers fan also do you yeah all right so matthew fairburn covers the sabers for the athletic uh give us your thoughts uh and we'll let you go i know this has been a long afternoon for you uh your thoughts i want to on... give jeff oh. one more tip before we yeah. before we shift gears gotta give sure, jeff sure. one more tip and i and i mean this I tell this to other students as well, but I really mean this to you, especially some at your age. Don't rule out or, or consider maybe not being a sportscaster in the one sense that the more you get into sports broadcasting, sports journalism, it will affect your sports fandom in a way that if you really love sports and you really want to be a sports fan and really just get all of the fun and enjoyment and thrill out of uh, seeing your team win the Super Bowl or something like that, you might not experience that as a professional sportscaster and there's different, you know, fun. And, and, you know, if you really love sports and sports writing and broadcasting, it, it can be a little different, but if you really want to get everything there is to get out of seeing the bills, win the super bowl, you don't want to be the guy on the sideline with the camera over your shoulder. That's going to change, you know, how you experience that and how much you enjoy uh, watching your favorite teams. 
Great point. Great yep. point. Yep. Um, Sabres, yeah, he's been – we watched. We didn't watch the game last night. I don't know. They're – what do you think so far? It's, they're, 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 it's so up and down, Fairburn. I don't know what to say. Yeah, they're like in, not consistent. Yeah, they're one, consistently inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. See, like one game they score like seven goals against like a super good team, and then against like a bad team, they get beaten three one or four one. So. Yeah, it's a. I can imagine for Don Granado, for fans, for people that have been waiting for so long for a good team. This is about as frustrating as it gets, even though some of those other teams were so bad. It's like this one was supposed to be really good, still has a chance. It's still 25% of the season. There's still time. Tage Thompson's hurt, all these things, but they have not won more than two games in a row all season. And they've only done that once. And it was a month ago. They've just been going back and forth, you know, a couple losses here, then they get a great win. Then they, you know, get wiped off the ice by the Devils. Then they beat the Rangers when nobody's given them a chance. So it's a frustrating team from just not knowing which group is going to show up every night. And people hate the excuse, but part of it is because they're young and they're figuring out how to deal with the pressure and how, how to deal with being this team. But you wonder when it will click because a lot of these guys are young in age, but not young in experience. They've been around. This is the core that they're going forward with. And it's some of those guys, Dylan Cousins, Owen Power, Matias Samuelson, that aren't quite living up to the contracts yeah. that they signed so far. That's the the alarming part. Jack, all right, give us the uh, rundown. Who are the jerseys? What are your Sabres jerseys? Um, Tuck, Thompson, and... I had a skinny jersey from like the what was it the Canadian like classic thing? What was the game that was like oh, outdoor? Yeah. yeah, the holiday. I don't know what are they named. It was an it was an outdoor game that like yeah that was, was a cool jersey. It was a super cool jersey for, for um Jeff Skinner that I have. So yeah, three Tuck Thompson and Skinner. Have we gotten rid yeah. of any recently? Nope. <laughs> did we have an Eichel jersey? Yes, we did. <laughs> mm. How do we handle that? Well, I don't even know what I did with it. I just like threw it out of my room, probably. Well, I don't mean the jersey. How about how about Jack Eichel winning the Stanley Cup? Were you okay with that? I mean, because you're a fan of the guy, right? At some point, or I was that a turn off? I was cheering against any team to win except Vegas, just because he was on the team. Yeah. Well. Yeah, but my grandmother called him a turkey. <laughs> well. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it's. God, when, this is when, a family when, show, Jack. When, <laughs> listen, when, when, when grandma busts out, when she starts calling players turkeys and donkey kongs, you know it's getting serious. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, this has been fun. Uh, Jeff, uh, let's plug some of your work. Uh, I know that you have uh, a piece coming up on uh the you're a big book guy you like to get into the books mm -hmm. uh you have a francis ford coppola book uh story coming up what what can you tell us about it yeah quickly it's a new book called the path to paradise it's by one of our favorite uh, writers or biographers sam wasson he's written about audrey hepburn uh bob fossey martin scorsese um and um uh 
this book's about Francis Ford Coppola and his life and sort of his his the dream of his life, which has been to establish this new kind of film studio, um, which he's always called Zoetrope. And Zoetrope has produced a whole bunch of films over the decades. Um, but he's he's always sort of been missing since that incredible four picture run in the 70s of Godfather Conversation, Godfather 2 and Apocalypse Now. You know, Francis Ford Coppola has put out a lot of stinkers and um, and um, he's he's been trying to make this one movie in particular for more than 40 years now called Megalopolis. And he's on the verge of releasing it. It's entirely self-funded, more than one hundred and twenty million dollars. And um, he's 84 years old now and he still dreams of changing the movie business. And I think making these epic films that change everything like godfather did uh, he's hoping to do that with this next movie and and this book is all about his life and his sort of quest to build the perfect studio and and to produce the best movies and that'll be on tomorrow morning oh fantastic yeah, right morning. it is That's friday this has been a blur of a week this bye know, week. right yeah yeah i had to buy a car yesterday not by choice that's not a fun process when you drive your, uh, I would have a word I'd use if Jack weren't on it. Uh, when you drive your jalopy onto the lot, <laughs> knowing that you, you cannot drive it back home. And the guy selling you the car is pretty sure that you aren't going to get back in that car. They kind of have you. Uh, no and I'm sorry. No leverage. Yeah. So that was a good it was car. Not, it was not a good day. Uh, we had a lot it was of good a long trips. day too. And I, I was the easiest customer. I test drove one car. I bought that car. I put up no fight. Uh, and um, I still was there for six hours, I think. So anyway, it's a blur. So tomorrow is Saturday. Yep. And Jack has his birthday party that we have to leave for now. So I hate to be the mom. It's your birthday, Jack. Yeah. Oh. Today? Well, it was on Monday, but that was over Thanksgiving. So he's having his birthday party. Well, now your parents don't have to get you anything. They got you an appearance on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs, and Business Consultants. He went to the Bills game, so that was part of his present. But Well, Jack, thank you for doing this. This is a good time to break. Um, I was going guys. to look up Francis Ford Coppola's uh, awful movies and go over some of those. Um. But yeah, that's that's a good story. I didn't realize that he'd sold his winery to fund this movie. Yeah, he's done. He he keeps he it, his life has been a series of big big bets, and some he's have really paid off, like Apocalypse Now, and some have not. And so he's making one final big big bet, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. All right, well, Jeff Glore and Jack Glore, thanks for joining us. Thank we can you. let you go. Maybe Jonah and Matthew and I will sit around and uh, kibitz uh, a little bit and uh, talk uh, talk some more Sabres since we have Matthew on the podcast. Well, we talk some Bills, too. Talk some Sean McDermott. But uh, thanks for coming on. It was a good talk. It's a good journalism talk, and our listeners do enjoy that. When we do get into journalism topics, uh, I get a lot of feedback about uh, the people enjoy that. So thank you. Thanks for Thank thanks you. for indulging, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that. good luck with everything, Jack. I'm sure yeah. we'll be seeing you again. Thank you very much. Jonah, Matthew, talk to you guys soon. 
Good see you, Jeff. You. See you, Jack. Happy birthday. Yeah, Happy birthday, Jack. Okay. So uh, that was fun. Um, how do we want to wrap things up here? What did you talk about while I was? Well, we talked about the Bills and their, you know, the existentialism of being a Bills fan, of being a veteran Bills fan or a Buffalo sports fan and being a young Buffalo sports fan, what you're getting into. Um, we talked about McDermott. We talked about uh, the penalty issue in the NFL, uh, the corrosive nature of that. We didn't talk much Sabres until you joined us here, Matthew. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that and the decision to send Devin Levi down to Rochester. Um, <laughs> look, it's like the same with Joe Brady. Uh, I'm seeing it on social media now. Uh, what are the bills going to do when uh, Joe Brady leaves to be a head coach next year? Uh, after two games, uh, people are just like, well, shit, we got to do everything we can to keep Joe Brady. Even if it means firing Sean McDermott to keep him, uh, if it's got, if we got to pick one or the other, we got to make him the next head coach, if or else we're going to lose him. Uh, yeah, I will really say, saying that. I will say, I there have is seen a, it quite a bit. Yes. No, Tim makes a good point. I see this more than I see it. Like, I understand the McDermott angst. Uh, I have probably fueled some McDermott angst over the last uh, few years. Sometimes, like I, I, I understand it. I think he's mashing his head up against the ceiling of his uh coaching acumen at the moment and that it's okay to dare to be better than sean mcdermott i don't think this idea that because they've had so many lousy coaches before him means that the next guy won't be better they're a more attractive team they have the franchise quarterback all those lousy coaches people talk about never had that but there's there is a weird suggestion from people even People that said, I would have moved on from him and promoted Dable after 2021. Stuff like that does not happen right? very often, if ever, where you fire the coach but promote one of his assistants. Then what happens to the rest of the staff? The whole thing is is a little weird. And the idea that it would happen with Joe Brady after two games, the guy's, what, 34, 35 years old? That he was has... my season-ending satchel last year was a series of questions, and that was the, you know, it, it was so loaded with this type of question that I don't think that there was any pro Frazier, Dorsey, McDermott questions in there. I think it w there was even some Bean questions about if he doesn't nail this draft, do we move on from Brandon Bean? Um, but the 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 uh, the theme of my um, of that satchel was if you'd had asked a month earlier. Hell, two weeks earlier, people were talking about Sean McDermott, coach of the year, for the way he got everybody through the DeMar Hamlin thing. And then they lose to the to the Bengals and everybody that people used to worry, what are we how are we going to replace Leslie Frazier when he becomes a head coach? How are we going to replace Dorsey when he becomes a head coach? And then within a span of two or three weeks, it's how can we get rid of these guys faster? And the reason I bring it up, I don't want to stay on that. I was using it because it reminds me of what's going on with uh UPL. Um, he makes a fabulous uh, underscore terrific, um, otherworldly highlight reel paddle save. And everybody's like, we got our guy, right. uh, UPL, uh, apology forums are going around social media. Uh, how did we ever doubt him? The sample size. I mean, people are so easily won over by, uh, they just want it so badly. 
So or the Joe, whether it's Joe Brady or UPL, um, now I think there are probably people who are like, gosh, how can we get rid of UPL now, bring Devin Levi back? We might as well let him get the experience of it. Anyways, what's your take on the goalie situation um, after they had it all figured out three days ago and now it's back in uh, in doubt? It's still all right. I, I think it, last night against the Blues, Uko Pekalukinen allowed – I would have liked to have seen him get, you know, two of the first three, probably. You can nitpick the first one he should have had. The second one, point blank shot. He didn't get a good look at it because of a screen. I would like to see him kind of fight the traffic a little bit better than that. And the third one was a rebound that, you know, you can criticize him for. That's why I say among those three, you'd like to see one or two go in most that they were down three, nothing. And then they have that offensive push. It was, it was frustrating because, you know, they're finally playing the way they should be on offense. And then, you know, some goal, early goals go in against them, but then the defense was a mess after that, you know, Matias Samuelson had a turnover that led to an easy goal. Owen power had a bad play at the offensive blue line that led to an odd man rush. So the defensive zone, failed them last night too. I don't think they should be overreacting because they do have Eric Comrie here too. Those two now need to be pushing one another and they need to let Devin Levi's development breathe. They should have been letting Devin Levi's development breathe more than they did. It was a question I posed to Kevin Adams at the end of the season. How do you go into the off season with all this optimism about Devin Levi? By the time you know whether that pays off, it's too late to add a goalie or at least add one of the ones that's available in the summer. And there weren't great options available in the summer, but there's always, you know, the trade market, different things. They go in with the same group. They have three goalies, which doesn't really benefit any of them individually in terms of reps and everything getting into a flow. And it didn't ben benefit Devin Levi from a development standpoint. Now he's where he should be. It's not to say he shouldn't come back up this year, but I think they need to let it breathe. They need to not send him down there in the mindset of how quick can I get back up? Barring Go injury, down there, of course. Barring injury. If somebody gets hurt, he may have to come back up. And if the play is bad enough, right? If the Uko Pekalukinen that was in that against the Blues shows up more often, they may not have a choice. But as long as Comrie and Lukinen play the way they have to this point on aggregate, then I feel like you keep Devin Levi down for a little while until... He absolutely, this should recalibrate expectations. I think it should be a major relief for Devin Levi, for Kevin Adams. It's a relief for me to stop talking about how this is, this guy is <laughs> doing something that nobody's ever done. And I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again. This is not how it's supposed to go. Trying to find this balance where one of the first things I wrote about when I took this job was Devin Levi. I went out to Northeastern last fall, you know, and I've, you know, a lot of high hopes for, for this guy. Like, I think he's going to be a good prospect. He's a fascinating story. He's a great interview subject and all these things. But I felt like I was being pessimistic about him because I kept saying he really, I don't, I'm not sure he should be here. I think maybe we should pump the brakes. Like, and so it's kind of a relief. I would think for him. And I asked him that the other day, he didn't pick up what I was putting down. Really. He's, being the competitor and the guy, super confident guy that he is, he thought it was a great opportunity to prove people wrong, do something nobody had ever done. But 
the reality is that he no longer has to think about that. The second he steps on the ice for an AHL game, he will have played in the AHL. He won't have to be the guy that skipped the AHL coming from college, which Ryan Miller didn't do. Connor Hellebuck didn't do. You know, all these guys, great college hockey goalies did not do. That's a relief for Levi. It should be a relief for Kevin Adams to not have to, you know, feel that pressure and, and what that might be doing to his development. So all good things. But right now, Kevin Adams, he opened himself up for criticism, I feel like, by sticking with Levi as the number one to start the season and essentially handing him the job after a seven-game sample size because he wasn't the best goalie in training camp. But he lucked out, in a sense, that Uko Pekalukinen played as well as, as he did. The goalie situation is not a problem. It's not the reason the team is 10-11-2. Therefore, the fact that the Levi move wasn't the right one isn't as disastrous as it could have been, right? What if Devin Levi's not playing well and Uko Pekalukinen's not playing well and Comrie's, you know, had these injuries and, and everything? Then he's really putting himself under fire. But the rest of the team's not playing well. The goalies have been decent for the most part. There have been moments. Devin Levi was not good. He did not earn a spot. And I think that's the important part is that probably more players in that room should feel the need to earn what they're getting. When you tear a team down the way that the Sabres did over the last few years, a lot is handed to guys, right? You yeah, know? that's a great point. Here's all these Here's all these open roster spots. Dylan Cousins, J.J. Paterka, Jack Quinn, Matias Samuelson, Owen Power, come on down, 25 minutes The captaincy. Tonight. Jack the Eichel, captaincy. of course, was going to start right. right in Buffalo, but he didn't need to be made the captain so early. Right, that predates Adams and Granado, but also. But a fair it's still point. the remnants of that are still Absolutely. very much being sorted through, or at least yeah. hopefully uh, gotten rid of. I mean, there's still some of that dust uh, in the uh, maybe more than just in the corners of the building. There, that might still be on the on the very floor, but uh, yeah, there's still a lot of that residue. Sure, and there, just a lot was handed, you know, to players, and not necessarily in a bad way like you want the young guys to get the experience right you want to lean on your prospects and let them develop at, at the highest level but when you're transitioning into being a competitive team and when kevin adams says he feels like the team's compete level hasn't been high enough on a consistent enough basis i start to wonder about that element of the top pairing role that that matias samuelson was handed and earned through his play, but now isn't quite earning. Or, you know, this massive, massive role that Owen Power has. Or, you know, Dylan Cousins being a, a, a top six center and not really playing like it right now. So I think Devin Levi being in the room when he wasn't playing well, to me, wasn't the greatest message to the rest of the group. Our window is open, right? Kevin Adams said at the beginning of the year, yeah. playoff. This is a playoff team. Don Granado said this is not a development year. And yet, a 21-year-old goalie is playing the first four games of the season and starts 8, 9, 10, and 11 of his NHL career, having never played in the minor leagues. Those two here's, things don't really square. Right. Well, so, here, here, well, go ahead. So I guess to remove him says we're giving the job to the best goalie. 
the guy that gives us the best chance to win. And we're no longer focused on what's best for Devin Levi. In a sense, they are, right? This is best for Devin Levi, but they're no longer focused on how can we get Devin Levi games? It's how can we put the goalie in that's going to give us the best chance to win? And that should be the case up and down the roster. That's why Connor Clifton wasn't in the lineup last night. It's why maybe there should be more of that in the forward group as well, because that's the only way to wake to get that consistent competitiveness is to make it so guys feel like, boy, if I don't bring that competitiveness tonight, I might not be in the lineup on Saturday, right? You know. Let me ask another Sabres question while we have time. I know that you've been at it. You were just podcasting with Chris Baker. It's a lovely podcast that I listen to as, as often as I can. I I think I missed an episode or two. All out. I think I've caught most of them. Jonah joined late, you joined late, but uh, we started, uh, we're going almost on an hour and a half here with this podcast. Um, but while I have you both on here, I want to ask uh, about Patrick Kane. Uh, the The Sabres uh, did not sign him. Um, General Manager Kevin Adams indicated that there was interest. It's the first confirmation, really, uh, that there was actual interest and it wasn't just reports or coming from Pierre the LeBron, agent or whatever. I, Pierre but LeBron I want to ask about Kevin his Adams decision. on the record for the record. I'm sorry. Pierre LeBron had Kevin Adams on the record a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. So, Thank you. Uh, the athletes. Got to give uh, a hat tip to my teammate there. That's right. So, Jonah, I'll start with you. Let me bring you in here. Um, your thoughts on uh, Patrick Kane signing with the Detroit Red Wings uh, and him not joining uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, I never thought it was a great fit hockey-wise for the Sabres and for Patrick Kane and for various on- and off-ice issues. Didn't like the match. I don't discount that the Sabres had some interest and that Kevin Adams um, expressed some interest and explored the possibility and considered it and probably maybe, or I wouldn't say probably, but maybe did want Patrick Kane among the forward groups if they could make something work. But I didn't think it really helped the Sabres with what they needed, although with some of the injuries they've had, there are ways where it could have made an immediate impact on the lineup. But because of his health, because of his hip, I don't know how much you could have expected from Patrick Kane right away if the Sabres really had the role for him that he covets and he desires and that the Sabres are competitive enough and close enough to being a playoff team and a Stanley Cup contending team to bring in a veteran at this point, at this age in his career. I didn't I didn't like the fit for Patrick Kane and in a lesser way, I didn't like the fit for the Sabres. I did think it fit and why this was such an interesting story. I thought it would have been a great thing for Buffalo and Buffalo sports fans and hockey fans, uh, not just in South Buffalo where it would have been, you know, the biggest story to ever happen sports wise, but for all, it would have brought some excitement and some juice. And I have wondered, Kevin Adams has seemed to avoid doing this. Maybe you could argue that Devin Levi coming up last year and starting as many games as he did and starting the beginning of the season was an example of this, but he's avoided making the big splash trade or the big splash free agent signing to show the fans we're going for it. The window is open. He said that, but hasn't quite made the trade deadline moves or the offseason moves to do that yet. And this was an opportunity to just add some star power wattage, add some flash and roll the dice. And for the Sabres indicate we are doing everything we can to make this team as good as we can right away. And the Sabres didn't do that. I don't know if – I think they're going to be fine without Patrick Kane in the lineup. I think Patrick Kane's going to be better off not coming back to Buffalo and, uh, you know, 
exercising some ghosts that might have came with that. But Buffalo sports fans might have missed out on something that would have been interesting, to say the least. My thought, I agree a lot with a lot of what Jonah said there. It would have been the best thing to happen to the Buffalo Sabres as a business since Jack Eichel, probably, right? Uh, the initial Jack Eichel drafting him and <laughs> having that excitement come to town. It would have been huge, and they've needed a shot in the arm. The attendance hasn't been great. They the Sabers were abs they were absolutely interested to the point that Kevin Adams, Don Granado, and other members of the staff had one of the meetings with Patrick Kane, in which they got on a call and explained their vision for him, for the team, and everything else. And that's where my mind goes with this: is that they were that far along, right? Expressed interest going back to July first. This was absolutely something that Kevin Adams wanted to do, whether it was business motivated, you know. I think there was hockey motivation here. One of the great scorers of, you know, his generation, one of the great American players of all time playing in his hometown for a team that right now is 22nd in the league and goals scored per game would have helped. I thought it made a ton of sense and was worth whatever risk from the injury. But my mind now goes to Patrick Kane signed a one year, $2.75 million contract with the Detroit Red Wings a team that has been on a similar timeline in rebuilding as the Buffalo Sabres. I believe they are on seven years with no playoffs, which is the closest team to the Sabres at 12. Uh, they are not a perennial contender. They are ahead of the Sabres right now, comfortably in the standings, making them ahead of the Sabres in their rebuild. But Patrick Kane, there were other variables, right? Jonah mentioned... You know, off ice, there were other variables here with Patrick Kane. Signing in Buffalo, that all gets dragged back up. The the stuff that has happened away from the rink when he's been in his hometown. That's not Probably the case. Probably and most notably that the Blackhawks, we had sourcing at The Athletic and from our at reporters who are at The Athletic now, maybe weren't at the time, but uh, that the Blackhawks, had him move out of Western New York. They thought it was right. bad for him as a human being and as a hockey player uh, to be in Western New York. And he obliged and apparently agreed and moved out and eventually sold his, his house. And that would have been a topic of conversation. Probably it would have had one. to have been, it, it, there would have been no way around it. And people can say that that's our fault, but you know, it's the reality. It's a ma a massive variable in his hockey existence here. He signs in Detroit. Nobody's talking about it, right? Dallas, Florida, wherever else. It, it's not a conversation. He played youth hockey in Detroit. He's comfortable there. When you're a youth hockey player of that stature, your home almost isn't your home. By the time you're 10, 11, 12, you're, you know, moving away from home, playing on all these elite teams, traveling all over the place. So I, I don't want to pretend that he just picked the Detroit Red Wings because they're better than the Buffalo Sabres. That off-ice thing is a variable. The fact that he could play with Alex Dabrinkit, who he, he played with in Chicago, and maybe have a top-line role with Dylan Larkin, play power play, maybe there wasn't quite that available in Buffalo. Sure. But it's a one-year $2.75 million contract. One that the Sabres easily could have matched or exceeded. 
Patrick Kane chose the Detroit Red Wings. He believed more in the Detroit Red Wings. Chasing a championship, Chris Johnston at The Athletic you know, reported that that was very high on Kane's list of priorities. I believe the Sabres, in a sense, played their way out of it the way they played the first quarter of the season. But more so than that is that I think this should fire up Kevin Adams, the, the competitor, the guy that won a Stanley Cup, the guy that put together a great career. I think it should fire him up that Patrick Kane said, yeah, I like what 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 Iserman's building over there a little bit better than what what you've got going on. In a sense, that's what he did. And I know there's other factors, but if the Sabres had come out of the gates and were in second in the division and scoring the lights out, that might have pushed Kane in the right, you know, in the direction of signing in Buffalo. And I'm sure the money wouldn't have been an issue for the Sabres because they have more cap space than any team that was in the running for Kane. So well, well, let me start because the Sabres do have the cap space and the assets and the ability to make another big move. And I think that if they, they don't get Patrick Kane, but they get another player, maybe not quite as Hall of Fame caliber, but another excellent player to boost the lineup, could they be better off? And would Patrick Kane signing have prevented a better move at the trade deadline or even, you know, at some point down the line? It's a great question. And I think that's sort of where my mind went next is, were you interested in Patrick Kane because of everything we talked about, right? The the buzz. Or are you interested in adding to the roster? And Patrick Kane was priority one, and now you're going to move on to priority two. I did not, I basically posed that question to Kevin Adams saying, you know, the door's closed there, but how urgent are you to add to this roster? Because now the door's closed. Maybe you were waiting to make a move because you didn't want... You wanted to see what happened with Kane first. Well, now that that's over, is it still a thing? Is it possible, Matthew, that the interest in, this is a little bit of the cynic in me, but I'm also just posing it as a a thought process, as a question, uh, just because I'm curious, um, that the Sabres showed interest in Patrick Kane for public relations purposes to show that they weren't dismissive of this possibility he is local. It made there were too many connections not to kick the tires on it because, as you say, uh, it sounds like they didn't make that great of an offer, or it's like, or it is a to- a blatant um, choice that the Red Wings are just a better organization than the Sabers. Yeah, I I doubt that they offered less money. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the offers were, but 2.75 is not a lot. Had it been five or six, maybe I said the Sabres weren't going willing to go that high, but 2.75 is pretty reasonable. I think you're right to be cynical. I mean, we're talking about the Sabres, so, you know, cynicism is justified and it's professional sports. So, of course, there's some degree of that, that that's healthy. I do think that there is a there's a savviness about like Jonah mentioned the Devin Levi thing or all the playoff talk. There is an element of having an eye on the business part, right? You don't talk about needing another year of patience when you also need to sell tickets. You don't, you know, Devin Levi was clearly a draw, so having him, you know, mattered. But there might have been some of that. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter because the actions will be what tell us 
in a sense how urgent Kevin Adams is. He didn't sound that way the other the other day when he spoke and said if they raise their their compete level that they'll be a, a better team. But you know that that he likes what he has internally. But you say that up until the point that you make a move, right? And and try to shake some life into the team a little bit. So I don't know how desperate they should feel to make a move, but I think it should be encouraging if it's not just public relations that they were willing to be in the mix on something like this. And more so than just in the mix, the reason why it would have been a, a long con for just PR is it went back to July 1st. They had a meeting, right? It wasn't just like, hey, Pat Brisson, keep telling people we're interested. You know, well, they, had they could meet, have just said you know? they could have just been in the loop. I mean, they didn't have to. It didn't have to. Sure. Be a, a but they had the full they had the full on meeting. Right. Yeah. You know, that's where it tells me, OK, they were somewhat serious. You know, Don Granado's got a I don't want to maybe not a full on reeling hockey team, but a hockey team that is not firing on all cylinders. And he's taken hours out of his day to sit down and explain his vision to Patrick Kane. For. The sake of it, I don't know, maybe. Uh, You've taken hours well, out of your that's... day to sit down and talk with Chris Baker and Tim Graham and Jonah Bronstein. So true. Six, six of one, half dozen of the other. I'm sorry, Jonah. Not... Well, I just want to say, Matthew kind of mentioned it, but there's another cynical take that Patrick Kane and his agency kind of needed the Sabres to be interested in order to, to be a stalking horse in a way, even if it wasn't 100% feigned interest because if the hometown team with all the cap space that probably does need uh you know a boost or a shot in the arm doesn't have interest in Patrick Kane then why would anybody else in the league have interest in him and it probably raises more doubts about his health status if the hometown team pulls out it reminds me in a lot of cases with local athletes in all different sports if the local division one schools aren't recruiting a local athlete well then the other schools out of state don't like to recruit them because they think, well, what's wrong with them if your hometown college doesn't want you? And I think the Sabres, Patrick Kane needed the Sabres in his corner in that way. And I don't know if it was a purely cynical motive, but the Sabres played ball with that in a way that probably works out for currying favor in the future. Maybe if Patrick Kane, as a healthier version of himself, enters unrestricted free agency in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, they'll have well, another crack at him. They they got to play their way into it, and they've got a. There's going to be a lot more suitors, and the cap will go up. Well, maybe not a lot more suitors. It'll depend how he plays. If he plays well, and well enough that the Sabers would be interested, it stands to reason other teams would be, and the cap will go up, and so there'll be more money to spend, which would increase the likelihood that other teams get involved. So the topic probably doesn't completely go away, but for now, Patrick Kane ain't walking through that door. So we'll see what answers the Sabers have from here, whether they're they're in the room right now or not what do we think from a journalism discussion about and i don't think this applies to you matthew there were some people that were pretty certain that the sabers were either signing patrick kane the very next day or it was down to buffalo and one other team and there were oblique twitter references and some maybe stronger reports you know why do you think they thought you know it did seem like an inevitability at one point a couple weeks ago I never felt that way, and I can't speak for why other people did feel that way, but stories like this I always find tricky because there's a lot of people that know Patrick Kane or know somebody who knows Patrick Kane or know somebody who knows Patrick Kane's cousin or dad or uncle or whatever, right? And so yeah. 
Buffalo is a small place. South Buffalo is an even smaller place and rumors fly and it's fun to talk about. But for me, from a journalism standpoint, for your, for the reasons you mentioned about, well, maybe Buffalo is just this stocking horse, right? Maybe it's like, a, it, it was really tricky to pin down information, right? Like how will Patrick Kane feel about coming back to his hometown? I don't know. Only Patrick Kane knows that really. Uh, truthfully and i guess whoever he shares that with but you know then you're dealing with a game of telephone how will he feel about having his past dragged back into the picture i don't know and when it came down to the interest the sabers interest seemed legitimate to me but ultimately when it comes down to the inevitability of a potential signing pat Brisson and patrick kane were the only two that could really know that even even kevin adams wouldn't know until he gets word he could feel good he could you know so i have no idea where that information come from other than you know maybe some some good educated guesses trying to trying to nail one or, or trying to and i've always hesitated to do this myself is that if i don't know anything i won't give off the appearance that i do and you know that can sometimes be tough on the ego right when you're sitting there and it's a big story and your beat and it's like i don't know what patrick kane's gonna do i don't know if to say i know they're interested i just don't know if they'll sign them um that to me is preferable to you know pretending to know something or taking second or taking flimsy information and expanding it into more than it is because I, i'd rather really know something so that when i do report things they're taken as such and not you know it does it doesn't do me a lot of good to to feign info, you know, to pretend I have something that I don't. So I don't know how it got to that point. That would be and it, a better question for somebody else. Well, correct. And, and even behind the curtain a little bit, there were reporters who I respect and think are very smart, and some of them much smarter about hockey and the NHL than I am, that seemed to think this was gonna happen, even if they weren't reporting it, they were bracing for the day when you'd have to go on TV and talk about it. And I just kind of, I thought it perplexing. I don't know if Tim has a take on it, that it never smelled right to me, but it sure smelled like something was in the oven to a lot of other people in the local and the national hockey media. I made a couple of, uh, a couple of queries regarding it and was told way too premature. And this was when it was percolating uh, just a couple of weeks ago. You know, there were, there was talk, yeah, in the in the Bills press box after a game about, hey, uh, what are we gonna, are we gonna, what happens if the Bills fire Dorsey on the same day they uh, they sign Patrick Kane? Um, which, what do you cover? Like, how do you divide your, you know, how do you divide your crew to go cover these stories? Um, and and at that time, I was told, no, there's no there's no point in in uh, in girding your loins for Patrick Kane, because if it does happen, it's not happening for a while. Um, but, um, but we've at, been at this for an hour and 40 minutes, or at least this particular podcast. I know you guys haven't, but I have. And um, I need to wrap this one up uh, because there may be a second podcast that I need to uh, do, which I can talk about after I hit the stop button. But um, Matthew, thanks for dropping in here in talking about the Sabres with us. Uh, Jonah, thank you for battling through your internet issues and joining the podcast. And thanks uh, again to both 
well, all three Glores. We saw the whole family. We got to meet Mr. and Mrs. Glore and their son, Jack, while he made his debut. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody out there for listening and watching. Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400. 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Oh,